Once upon a time, a priest I knew in northern Michigan told me about some parishioners of his who traveled down to Detroit to visit relatives. Up there, anyone going over the bridge says they're going down below. While they were there, they decided to attend Sunday liturgy at a Ukrainian Catholic church. They'd never been to a Eastern Rite divine liturgy and wanted to see what they were missing. They arrived a little late and took a place in the back of the church. The liturgy was in Ukrainian, a language so difficult it said that even some Ukrainians don't fully understand it. There was a huge image of Christ the Pantocrator, the all-powerful judge of the world, above the sanctuary. The look on his face suggested he was not having an especially good day. There was a choir in the balcony singing polyphonic music that may or may not have had something to do with what the priest was doing at the altar. They didn't know because they couldn't see him. He was partially hidden behind the iconostasis. The deacons and servers wore rich vestments and processed in and out of the holy place, the sanctuary, at odd moments and for no apparent reason. Everything was shrouded in great clouds of heavy, sweet-smelling incense. They could hardly breathe, let alone see. And the liturgy was long, not the 40 minutes they were used to in their own parish. They were about to cut a hasty retreat at the end of the liturgy when an ancient woman, what Russians and Ukrainians call a babushka, meaning grandmother, approached and in thickly accented English asked if they were Latin Catholics. When they nodded yes, she said, I thought so. Tell me, she asked, how did you like our liturgy? Oh, uh, well, uh, they, they, they said, uh, it, the icons and the music were all very beautiful, but God seems very mysterious and far away here. You went to communion, she asked. Yes, they nodded. Then what do you mean by far away? He is in your mouth and in your stomach. How much closer can you get? I doubt that elderly woman had a degree in sacramental or dogmatic theology from a pontifical university. Her description of the Eucharist lacked the refinement and theological subtlety And yet, it was a perfectly orthodox confession of the Church's faith. The question is, how did she come by that knowledge? Probably the same way that we have all come to believe in Christ's Eucharistic presence in the consecrated gifts of the altar. It was not by taking seminars or reading dense theological tracts, not that those are bad things, Theologians talk and write about God. The liturgy reveals his saving presence in the midst of a praying community gathered for worship. By celebrating the liturgy Sunday after Sunday, we enter into the mystery itself and encounter there a crucified and risen Lord. We learn the faith by praying. This is the meaning of the phrase legem credendi statuet lex orandi. The rule of prayer determines the rule of faith. It was coined by Pope Celestine I around the year 425. He put words to an insight already ancient by the time he became pontiff. That insight boils down to a very simple formula. 
practice comes before theory, prayer comes before belief, worship comes before doctrine. This is why Catholic liturgy is sacramental, bound up and with and in the world, why we use bodily posture, standing, kneeling, bowing, why we cross ourselves at the beginning and end of Mass, why we splash water and pour oil at baptism and chrismation, burn incense, light candles, genuflect before the reserved sacrament, and gather together as a community of faith. This is why Catholics place the Eucharist at the center of their weekly worship, why we do not approach Holy Communion casually, we fast from food and drink for one hour before Holy Communion, and why we don't carry our vente caramel macchiatos into church with us, because the only eating and drinking that we do in this place is the Holy Eucharist itself. These are not liturgical frills, what the enlightened despisers of the church call smells, bells, and yells. This is how we remind ourselves that this is not mere bread and wine, but Christ himself, body and blood, soul and divinity, present under the appearance of bread and wine. Good liturgy strengthens and nourishes faith. Poor liturgy weakens and destroys faith. The American bishops happen to agree with me on this. Well, they may have actually said it first. About 50 years ago, in a document that they issued about the time when clown masses were becoming popular. Simply put, liturgy is faith in action. But what happens when we forget that the way we pray determines the way we believe? A small example, I came across this um, last year, an article about a church in Great Britain, a break-off of the Church of England, the Anglican Church, that had an unusual liturgical practice It was called post a host. Consecrated hosts are sent out in the mail so that people who can't, won't, or don't go to church on Sunday can self-communicate themselves at their leisure. What are the implications of the law of prayer is the law of belief for this kind of thing? That elderly woman in Detroit whose faith has been formed by the church at prayer would know that There is a big difference between the supper of the lamb and a fast food carryout eaten alone. On Corpus Christi, we make the ritual signs and actions that express the church's faith that this is no ordinary bread and wine, but the presence of a crucified and risen Lord. This is not a distant and isolated deity content to observe us from some safe distance for fear that he will get his hands dirty in creation. This is a saving God who got his hands pierced for us and who now comes to us in the most personal and intimate of ways as food and drink, all of him for all of us. How much closer can you get? <laughs>